Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Lund. Welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast with today's severely amazing, in-depth, great episode with Simon Whitfield. Jackson Laundry, take us into the episode Cliff Notes and why you're going to want to keep listening. Well, Simon Whitfield is one of the all-time greats in the sport. He was the 2000 Olympic champion for triathlon. That was the first ever Olympic triathlon. He was second in 2008. He also went to the Olympics in 04 and 2012, so four times. Um, he's won so many World Cup events, and he's won the high V triathlon. Like, he's been there and won that. So I got the chance to get to know Simon a little bit at the Collins Cup last year, and I just really wanted to dive deeper into what is it that makes him tick and, you know, what's he up to now. So we did track him down. He was probably on a long hiking expedition, but we got him for a couple minutes, so can't wait to see what he has to say. And I know it's going to be a good one. Yeah. We'll talk about obviously the Olympics, Collins cup, his lifestyle after sport. Um, and then before you know it, we're going really deep into the ethos of what it means to be a triathlete and why it's so invaluable. So a lot of good lessons here, especially if you're a parent with kids and you're trying to get them to do sports. So really make sure you've got your headphones on and you can pay attention without further ado. Let's jump in. All right, we are here with none other than Simon Whitfield. If you don't know who Simon is, I don't know where you've been, but uh, really, really glad to have a legend on like you, Simon, and, and thanks so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. This is fun. It was great to meet you at Collins Cup and uh, to follow up and, and be able to catch up here is good. Cool. Yeah, so why don't we start there? I, you know, like you mentioned, we kind of had a chance to chat at the Collins Cup. You were a team captain. I was on the team and uh, I was able to kind of get a couple little nuggets from you about your career and and things that, you know, you obviously, you know, advice and stuff like that. So um, going back to your career, obviously, you know, Simon was the first Olympic men's champion champion at the triathlon. Uh, I actually watched that race before I even really knew what a triathlon was. My dad was like, look at this, the Canadian, he's coming back on the run. And I actually somehow watched it either live or like the Canadian recorded. So that was super cool. Um, and now going back and watching that race, it's pretty funny, like what the tri suits were then and like how things look so different, but just quickly, obviously you've probably talked it's about not this in 4k at times. all. <laughs> yeah. It's in like 720p <laughs> if you're lucky, but, uh, but yeah, obviously you won that race and you had been basing your training out of Sydney there. Um, is that like, you know, was that like the best performance of your career? Like, was that like an amazing, perfect day? Or do you think, you know, you got better and then like the level just kind of also went up and then you're only able to get a measly silver medal in the 2008 Olympics. <laughs> I don't know, honestly, it's, it's, it suddenly is so far long ago that it's hard to remember. It's uh, I, I kind of just piece it together. Um, I don't know. It was, it was a great day from a performance perspective, as in everything came together that day. Um, and uh, Lance Watson was my coach back at the time, back in the day. And he did a great job and, and, you know, being in Sydney and being at the opera house and having gone to school there, it all just kind of came together. In fact, I had that feeling of like, Oh man, I don't know if I could ever re replicate that all these pieces like this happening like that and this it seemed like maybe the rest of my career would be seemed a, a bit of a chase of 
just that kind of performance again. I don't know. It's all 2020 hindsight. It feels so long ago. <laughs> a galaxy far away that happened to somebody other than me. So well, I, th <laughs> I think that's a good piece to to bring up too. You know, how how long ago was it? You know that this actually happened for our listeners who haven't paid attention. <laughs> 2000, 2000 Olympics, 22 okay. years ago. So you know, a lot has changed within the sport. Um, obviously, not a lot has changed in how we probably the nerves and the stress and all the media hype and all that stuff. Um, you know, I, I always like talking with Olympians to learn about that aspect of it too, you know, obviously meddling and in, in the life afterwards, but the lead up to it, the pressure, um, you know, were you a favorite? Was it something that you'd always dreamed of? How was, did you start preparing eight years, four years in advance? Like what was your, your timeline in order to get to such a, a level of performance? I mean, it was all the cliches. Um, it's just laid out, right? Like, you know, I having grown up in Canada and then going to Australia and getting ready for that race and not being a favorite, but having a lot of belief in self and having had some results rolling into it, it all just came together. Um, in terms of nerves, and I don't know, I, I remember it as being, it was so different through the rest of my career because that race, I went into it just a wide-eyed kid. I just loved racing. I loved participating. I loved being there. I loved all I had still had that whole very just naive, you know, ignorance is bliss attitude to it all. And that, that was, I think part and parcel with what happened was getting there where everybody else is in their own head and they're all caught up in expectation, you know, in terms of the favorites. And I'm just there just taking it all in. And, uh, I think that as, you know, we start to put our expectations on ourselves and we have, you become the defending Olympic champion after that, all that comes with that begins to stack up and you start to get very aware of how you're perceived and how this race will unfold. And the word legacy starts to come up in your mind and all of those things are beyond performance. They're just, they're, they're reflections of, you know, of your ego, I suppose. But before that, it was just racing. It was just like a kid showing up on the start line saying, let's go. And, and then just yeah. like that, you're the man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, led the race for what? Led the race for the last 200 meters. And that's all you needed. That's all you needed. Yeah. There you go. There was, there was a moment in there where there was a decision made, you know, and I, at one point I was either on, you know, second or third, silver or bronze or overcoming uh Vukovic to to win but yeah and then the rest of you could uh, in some way you could look back and think the rest of my career was kind of chasing that same kind of moment again I guess that just is what it is well that's you know really good interesting point like you you know win an Olympic gold relatively early in your career and then it's not always like I guess as as non-Olympic champions people look at it like oh you're the best in the world everything must be so easy you just go you're so good at races but there's all this pressure right now of, uh, okay, you're expected to win. You're expected to podium, um, pretty much every time you race probably after that. Um, so how you mentioned how kind of it, it, it weighs on you a little bit. Did it, did that, was that like a struggle during your career of like trying to still really love the sport while having all this pressure and like, how'd you manage that pressure? Were there times where you didn't manage it well versus you did? And like, how'd you overcome that? Yeah, I mean, I think it probably, it happened on the continuum. There was times in my career where that was the defining thing. It was getting back to that level or staying at that level. 
And there were times where I really enjoyed uh, the process. And there was other times where I didn't enjoy the process and lost sight of just what it meant to, to be an athlete and to be immersed in mastery like that and, and, to, and to enjoy it as much as I did. And I certainly went through different phases of my career where I love, you know, I would describe it as whether I loved riding in the rain or if I didn't, if I didn't get up to go ride in the rain. And as I went on, you know, it just changed. And I don't know, now it's all just looking back, you know, it's like trying to piece it together and, and not, and in the same time, not spend so much time there that you're just always kind of looking in the rearview mirror. Well, thinking what happened. Speaking of that, you know, it, it did happen. Obviously, uh, you've, you've been living that lifestyle. Um, and it's probably seems like it's na- it's ancient history, because I even what I ate for breakfast feels like that. So I can imagine it's probably like, man, I just I had it. Um, but I, I'm c- curious, you know, what did you guys eat differently back then? Did you have bananas in your pocket? Were you eating dates? Like, because I think this is like the biggest contention part of our sport. And I'm sure you're aware of it. Like, what, what's the difference? Interesting. Um, I think the basic, I don't think the basics were the same, you know, there was like, we, we, we weren't running along with a banana in our pocket, but we weren't too far from that part of the sport, you know, where uh, I started in the sport and raced in the first world cups where we were still pulling our Jersey out of our, out of our swimmers. There was that wow. phase there. I raced the 96th iron tour in France and we did that. So the sport, you know, that from its evolution of like being a really an immature new sport where the technology was still evolving to all the way through where it is now to watch Super League and, and the PTO and everything and the Ironman and everything comes with it. It's just amazing. Um, yeah, I saw the sport really evolve. And uh, to answer your question around eating, it was it was pretty basic. You know, it was I don't know. It was like was it homemade stuff or gels or sugar, <laughs> potassium? You know, it was it was pretty basic. I, I think we just didn't th- we we thought about it a lot back then, but we we experimented a bit more, and now it seems to be much more refined. And it's and I get the impression it's much more agreed upon as as to what the best science is, and like, hey, this is how you prepare, etc. Et well, I mean, it's it's all marketing now. So, I mean, whether science supports it or not, um, you know, people, people do it. So I, that was my main point. Like, were you guys, you know, doing basic stuff, just like basic, you know, glucose fructose mixtures with maltodextrin, or were you just like, I don't know, I'm eating this, I'm drinking this drink and it seems to work and I don't know what's in it, but I like it. I bet you people still love Coke. (laughs) We were closer to that than you're right. Then now I imagine, I mean, I don't race anymore, but I would imagine there's this, it's very, driven by you know you're trying to sort through it all to figure out okay what what's real here and what's what's uh what's an advancement and what's just hype and back then yeah we just had less options so we were we were as susceptible to hype we just had less options to you know get distracted by i suppose okay right cool um yeah so okay so obviously you know crush the olympics you know, we'll just skip through a couple of key points here that, that were cool moments in your career. Obviously, silver medal at the 2008 Olympics. That was, you know, an equally inspiring performance, I think. If you go back and watch that, it was a, I believe it was a four-man break with you, Gomez, Ferdinho, and who was the other guy? Uh, Bevan Doherty. Bevan Doherty. Oh, I remember that name. And it was, yeah. And it was, you know, Simon's starting to get dropped with like 800 to go or so. And then he just like throws his cap takes off and he ends up almost winning the gold. And then Ferdino pips him at the line, but you and Ferdino actually had a bit of a rivalry going there for a couple of years. It looked like, um, 
maybe friendly rivalry you guys were always up there in the races and then i know in the high v triathlon you, there was like a seven man sprint finish with you and Ferdino, and you got him in that one <laughs> yeah we watched that like at camp one time we even watched like daniela and all the you know not old older athletes at all but any means but just we watched those races and it was super inspiring to see just i was like i didn't even know danielle raced itu i don't think a lot of people knew that um because they just pay attention to what's happening now it was such an incredible story to watch her come through the itu and to see her as an athlete there and then to see her embark on her Ironman career and then to the status you know just the legendary status that she achieved and then to know that we were just like Wait a minute. She was just back on the IT circuit with us. Logging <laughs> it's unreal. Yeah, there you go. So was that like, you know, obviously Olympic gold's amazing. What would you say highlight wise? Like obviously races come and go and the high V race was super cool, but like, what were some of the other really cool races that you loved and that, you know, maybe they're still around or not. I always liked uh, the Minneapolis lifetime fitness race because we was non-drafting it was drafting non-drafting it was wasn't the same draft zones that they have now that are more much more defined it was in the city streets of uh, st paul and minneapolis and it was this cat and mouse game of kind of staying in and out of the draft zone but it was the place where we all met up um it was a chance to do something a little different and uh i really liked you know outside of the whole olympic realm of, of racing like points and all that stuff just racing in Europe was, you know, at the end of the day, you had like, you had your bike locks and you were living in some random French village at the base of the Pyrenees, calling it your life, saying, oh, I'm a triathlete. But at the end of the day, you just wanted to go ride your bike around these incredible venues. And yeah, you used to go to the pool and go for a run. And it was that part of it, you know, at the very basic level of just traveling and being outside and pretending to be a professional athlete, you know, when you, at the end of the day, you're just running around your speed up, pretending, you know, you were doing sports. So yeah, <laughs> just to be a tourist, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Now. So, okay. So now 2012 last Olympics that you participated in, you don't need to go too much into that. Obviously you hit a speed bump that sucks. Um, and then you decided to retire. So I know, you know, at that point you're, I think you're in your late, later thirties and kind of, the question mark was there whether you know did you want to keep going you could have easily made a career in long course i think and had success of you know at least at the half distance or you know done any number of things um but obviously you'd been in the sport a while so what was it you know that that told you it was the right time to retire and i know you had family and stuff going on as well and did you go into the business side right away or did you kind of just take a break for a while uh i, I just ran out of loving getting up to get out to ride in the rain you know mm. that was like the big thing that shifted was that it was at the end of the day it seemed like it was all these other things but at the end of the day I just I I love getting outside I love just getting out and exploring and if there was a point there where I just stopped loving measuring everything and competing at everything and having everything to be a certain way all the time you know I just got to this point where I think I don't know if I did it consciously at the time but now I look back on it and I just got to this point where it's like, oh man, I just want to go outside for the, you know, just cause. And I want to go out in the pouring rain just cause, not because I got to get up, I got to do this thing and I got to go to that race and I'm going to be away and blah, 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 all those other things. Now I just absolutely love just getting my hiking poles and going out the door and uh, for no reason and with no intention and no nothing, just because I 
like being outside. And so that's shifted and you can't, you know, you can't make a career of doing it that you can't, you can't make a racing career out of just love. You, you can make, you can love being outside or you can train and race and progress and, you know, precision application for predictable gain, all that kind of thing. Or you can just go outside and enjoy it. And I just shifted to this point where suddenly I was like, oh man, I just like being outside and I don't want to compete anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to race anymore. I wanna, uh, uh, you yeah. Know, good for you. you good for you. So it was an easy, it was a relatively easy decision for you at the time then. Um, no, no, because I still just was, uh, I was, I toiled with that. You know, I'm also hyper competitive. Yeah. Was, it, was it more of an identity that you had to trouble leaving behind, I guess? You know, it's more the, uh, the camaraderie. Yeah. Um, I'm, that's what I miss. I miss I, the racing and applying yourself to something and being so, you know, obsessed with something is, has it's like, there's part of that that's just awesome. And, you know, I just love pursuing. And then there's also the rest of life that comes along and says like, hey, you got to make some choices here because there's sacrifices that you make. But I miss... Uh, I miss the circuit because I miss the people because I miss seeing yeah. those, you know, and I, I miss the, the athletes. And I, now I've been, I, I found gone and found other athletes that I love spending time with just because they're athletes. Um, and we speak the same language of like just physical literacy, you know, and I don't know. Yeah. That's, that would be the part that I miss the most. Are you talking about your, your master's soccer league yeah <laughs> you know to an extent yes because i love i i like the poetry in that you know like i i i have been to the olympic games but i also show up on sunday with the boys and we like play this arbitrary game that we just love to play and we like celebrate when we win and we celebrate when we lose and it's and it's the best because i just like seeing those people and the pandemic made that so apparent because you walk back on a pitch and saw people after a year and a bit where you're like oh wow like you're still a lot you're still around not to buy hyperbole but like actually hadn't you spent so much time with these people and then suddenly you come back and you're like oh wow and you realize oh i just like being here because we all check in and we don't care <laughs> we don't really care what each other are doing other than like hey can you like stop that little ball thing from going in the rectangular thing and then try and get it and put it in the other rectangular thing and that's all everybody cares about for this window and i just that i love i love that yeah aspect. yeah that's cool well these are you know good little nuggets for me and you know five to 15 years from now and i decide i want to do other things because yeah you give up a lot too right in the career and you realize it probably more after is you know you don't really I don't really have the opportunity to go and I can't just go play soccer for a couple hours and like oh, I'd be so sore and I'd be twisted and it just takes away from training and recovery and all these things and it's uh it's a bit different um just having that freedom too right but uh but yeah the reason I asked about the soccer is because obviously I heard about that you you had a bit of an injury from that when we were at the uh the Collins Cup and you're mentioning how you you pulled something playing soccer um that's being in your 40s <laughs> yeah <laughs> running around crashing into each other yeah so so the collins cup that was obviously a really cool experience for me um it seemed like you had a good time and you enjoyed the camaraderie and, and the, the direction things are going and did you get the feeling that at that event that that was the start of something really significant that is going to be 
a big part of the sport. And what are your kind of thoughts on Collins Cup PTO and the way things have changed over the last couple of years? I mean, I love the match racing. It was fantastic. And I'd always, I thought I'd thought through all the different formats that you could have. I thought I had a good idea of like, oh, this would be the, you know, you could do this, you could do that, Super League kind of thing. But to see the three out match racing in the kind of realm of, or the, the, similar to the Ryder Cup kind of format. I was very, I, I was part of me, I was very envious, you know, I kind of got there going like, wow, like you get to race in this format. Um, yeah, you have to worry about two people and that is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you get so exposed, you know, like I yeah. thought, wow, this is so, it's just incredible that you had, there was nowhere to hide in that format. And you, you know, you really, you saw the athletes that weren't prepared or didn't have a great day get really exposed and it will just keep evolving. And, and if it was the only part of the sport, you wouldn't want that, but that's the best part about triathlon is all these different, you name it, you know, you can do all these different distances. You can do all these different formats. You can, they can mix up the formats. They can make them short, long, whatever they would match racing. And that's triathlon for you. And I just, uh, Collins cup was the best of that. It was, it was fun to see. It was fun to be part of that team. It was really interesting just to be around it, but a step removed from it. Um, I had so many moments of like, I, I used to race this. I can't believe that. And then to see your Jeff, see your celebration, I, you know, that puts a shame any other celebration I've ever seen. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was, no, I don't call it a celebration. It was a celebration tantrum. <laughs> now the tantrum yeah. is if you like, you know, you were upset and you did that, something like that. No, it's like, it's like, nobody kid, throws a happy tantrum. It's just a happy, tantrum, it's a happy tantrum. But it's like when a kid gets his hand shut in the door and he's like looking at it. And it's about, it's just building. It's like, it's about to explode. It's a volcano of emotion. And all of a sudden it's like, Wah! and that's exactly what it was. It was epic. It was unheard That's of. actually true. And not, you know, the, it was building to a T point. And I actually like have thought about that and like, why was that so much more exciting than anything else? And I don't actually think it was because it was the Collins copper because I won the heat. Well, obviously those things help, but there was such a like, it was such an emotional race for me, like, which like the whole race, like from when Joe passed me pretty early in the bike and to me just being on my own, like knowing that this is going to be, this is going to be like an absolute time trial from that point on to the end of the run. And am I going to catch him or not? And like, you're out there and every, everybody's with the leader, right? Like he's got the, he's got the cameras, he's got, you know, people yelling at him. He's got, whatever well you and, were an underdog too which was you know well there not, was no one there was no why there was hardly even a volunteer like i was borderline not even sure where the course was for the run and you're just blatantly lonely and all you see is a speck up there and you go through so many mental like oh god i don't think i can catch him he's not coming back quick enough no you gotta keep going come on you can get him and then like it was just a roller coaster of emotion and like you said it built up until the end and then it was just nuts <laughs> I imagine too like you arrive if and I was going to say it's like an arrival at the at the pinnacle of the sport too. Like you cross the finish line, there's like Yan Ferdino and yeah. Sanders and like all these, like the top, you know, um, they're all the top of the sport and you've arrived and you've done your job. And like you said, like there's no one there, there's no one around. And then all of a sudden, hey, I'm here. And I just won my, I did my job, you know, and, yeah. and I've arrived. In, Not in, to mention... In, broadcast to the world 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that was really cool. And it was super cool to have Simon there. And I don't know if they showed this part, but I actually like picked Simon up off the ground after yeah. in the celebration. So I guess I didn't quite empty the tank fully. Um, cause I wouldn't <laughs> be able to do that, but not that you're heavy or anything, but I just mean, you were there you'd, you'd arrived. It was great. It was fun to be part of. And, um, uh, yeah. This so, is great. Going. so all the Collins cup aside, um, I, I want to backtrack real quick, Simon, just cause we, I've been, you know, knuckled elbow deep into the winter Olympics and just kind of watching all the athletes go through the ups and downs, especially, um, you know, on super G with I forget, Schiffer, Schifrin, I think forget her first name for some darn Michelle, Melanie Schifrin. Anyway, she's one of our top us skiers and she just kind of blew it a few times on her key events and just sat on the slopes for like 20 minutes and the pure emotion and everything that goes around that whole event after years and years of doing it. Like once you've done that, and obviously you've been so successful and you've had such a great career, but what is it like to carry around, you know, two Olympic medals? You know, I think I just love to hear that. I don't know if he carries them around though. Do you carry them around? Back you should. At all? should. I'll get you a fanny pack for it. If you can just put them in there. <laughs> it's at all got time. lots of fanny packs. <laughs> the metaphor is there though, because you carry it around as a narrative. It does become a narrative. It's this like living narrative that at times becomes, I don't know. I have some funny resentment to it too, because it becomes the story. Yeah. You know? Everyone's, well, everyone's like, Oh, he won Olympic medals. Like every time you go somewhere. Not even like, no, that doesn't happen. But but oh. odd, but then but then in strange places it does happen and then in it, it comes back up in funny ways and in and i you know it's not better or worse it's just different but it does that narrative i have been in situations where i'm working on something really interesting at the time you know in the here and now and i'm really engaged in it and i'm loving it and and the the function i'm at or the thing i'm contributing to is all about that thing that happened so long ago yeah that's really yeah. what i wanted to tap into you know yeah and so at some points i'm like oh man like i've been i've literally over the 20 odd years i've been to to events and speeches where i felt like i could have just put the metal on the thing played the video and just like yeah put off the side and go like oh and that you, you become a bit of a meme no you don't become a bit of a meme you become a meme you become yeah. all these stories that go with it and i heard and a lot of it for me was like letting go and detaching from that so like honestly if you go at my house where i live you wouldn't there's nothing like there's no olympic anything and it's not a like it's not a i didn't i don't love that stuff it's just that i want to live and i live in the here and now like my day-to-day -day is like i got kids to take care of i got get up and take care of myself i've got to get That's on hard enough. Day. no i respect <laughs> the hell out of that like yeah there's, so there you go it's and you know, like you said all the way back to the the Mikhail on the ski slope I think at some point our like narrative and our story of self just especially in this day and age of social media it just becomes so overbearing that it it's like it's I pick the person and I'm going like oh my goodness I just want to not be that person right now I just want I just I just like putting on skis and going down the slope yeah, you she know, would give anything just to be knows. normal at that point. Right. Like she's like, oh my God, this got carried away. Yeah. And everything that comes with it. And then all and then the reflection, like, well, I was in the position to be there on the slope. So that's its own story. And like this whole 
toggle with it all the way to look I they're all the way to back to soccer I'm on the field the other day we get a penalty kick a guy fouls me we get a penalty kick and as he's walking off in an empty stadium like we're not playing just at the little we normally just play at the little field you know we're at the like Royal Athletic Park there's like six people in the stands and I and I get taken down the guy as he walks off chirps me like in over 40 soccer chirps me like okay gold medalist guy and I'm just like Oh, wow. That thing that, that thing that happened 20 some odd years ago is like playing out on the pitch. Some guy like justifying why I'm like, yeah, okay. Also, it's a foul. Like you can't, you can't just tackle people like that. So, so that weird relationship that comes with it and all the narrative that goes with it. There you well, go. Well, thank wow. you very much for that perspective. I, I appreciate you d- diving into that. Um, I probably would say it's, you know, imagine being a, a most famous rock group or rock and or whatever group that only has one song they play from 30 years ago. And that's all the crowd wants to hear. And they're like, but I've got new stuff and I'm, I'm doing <laughs> these new things and you don't care. Exactly. So, so thank so, you for being honest about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really cool to hear that. And, you know, you are obviously doing different things yeah now than, than you did then and like what what stuff you know, like you mentioned you love going outside and i know you love paddleboarding skiing obviously you play soccer because you're still competitive um what kinds of other you know what stuff do you do like obviously in your career you're really successful are you like mostly retired from sport or i know you're still involved with some like races sometimes and you'll do speaking and whatnot um what are your business things that you do or are you pretty much just retired retired gold medalist Simon. Retired guy, no just melted not. that bastard down and put it in bonds <laughs> um <laughs> now i i just like the look i love the idea of traversing from here to there like with no i like the the idea that the all the way back and that yeah the journey of like getting from a to b and when i'm sketching on you know what i want to go go do it's always if it's not going to play soccer or play some game, then it always revolves around what's like an absurd, like traverse to go do. And then I break it down to like, okay, what do I actually have time to do? And how do, <laughs> you know, like the gear to do, et cetera. And what's, what isn't stupid and I'm going to come home from and does my like SOS thing work. And then I like just doing it. And one of the things that stuck out for Collins Cup that really my like there were so many great moments from that that whole experience, but standing on the river cruise with with Jan, and there was like ten minutes where it was just the two of us. It was the only ten minutes we got together. We got a bunch of other little time together, but everything else was with other people. And for some reason, we just got this ten minutes on the ferry boat and just caught up about life. And what I realized is like he's. He's the grandmaster in our, in our sport, you know, Nic- Nicola Spirig, I th- feel like, and, and, and Jan are like these, these of their out there, the, the grandmasters and he, and he's what he's achieved. And what I found really interesting was he, it felt like he'd achieved, achieved is a funny word, but he come to the last piece of the puzzle, which was vulnerability. Cause this Yan that I knew in all the years before that and admired as a, as an athlete, as a person, as a friend, the one thing I never got from him was this sense of vulnerability. He was always kind of like chest out and, and, and competing and bravado. And on the ferry boat, just chatting with him, I said, oh yeah, he's just, he, he's come to this realization too. He's just some guy who just 
like likes being outside he happens to be good at this sport and he showed and had this vulnerability to him that felt like I was like watching going wow like the grandmaster put the last piece in which is that he's he's vulnerable enough now to know that it's just it's just about it's not it everything anymore right and, and he just loves it you know and he just loves competing but also he doesn't need anything from it anymore he's like free to just express himself and i thought i came away from that and i was like wow that was like the grandmaster all the other things that he's component parts that he's good at and does it was just amazing to watch i think we've seen that change in his social media presence to that extent as well it's, he's a more open he's more vulnerable he's showing his more life lessons and lifestyle i think danielle is amongst the same with that they're just you know letting their hair down and opening it up a bit more so i i definitely i think that that's epic once you can get to that level and great for you to be able to experience that i i what i experience it now is that when you ask josh what i do now is i so i do business stuff and i make up little on a piece of paper where i want to go on you know traverse but what i really love being i love being around sport um, I watch my kids play sport. I watch my, my, my older daughter play soccer. And I'm the guy that when there's an epic back and forth and my daughter's team is up one, nothing on the older kids. And at the last second, the older kids score to tie it. And all of the parents that are, I came with that are on our team are all like, Oh no, I can't believe that. I'm like, going like, Oh, sports. So great. eh? Yeah. And like, no, what? they like they almost beat the older kids. And I'm like, yeah, but that was so beautiful that they scored at the last minute and the older kids tied it. And that was just great. And I, and I honestly, sometimes I look around and I go, oh, wow, I just experienced sport a different way, you know? Yeah. And I had a really sad moment the other day with sport too, where I was at a game and the, the, there, some of the fan base was chirping the, the referee, the other team, the other spectators. And I, I didn't say anything, but I wanted to go like, hey, are you okay? Like, can we just leave that at the door? Because the world's crazy right now. Like you, I can just go turn on the news and I'm reminded of how, yeah. crazy everything is like i wanted to just sit down beside this guy and be like hey like <laughs> i wanted to say are you okay but i also wanted to be like could you could we just like cheer on like who's that's your son wow he's a great soccer player like that your goalie made a great save earlier i i don't know if you noticed but i clapped also because i just like sport and i like performance and i like the theater of it all and i also come to the conclusion and place that like it also doesn't matter <laughs> You know, like it doesn't, it's just, yeah. you leave, you go home to the same person, all the negative things that you might do otherwise. So that's it. Yeah. And that's so good point is like the winning and losing isn't as important as, you know, what you get from it, what you get from the process of doing it and participating and trying to be your best and all those things, like really, um, even, at, even at the pro level, elite level, like just trying to compete and be your best is like, you know, I think that's kind of uh, people have different mindsets on that. And I'd be interested to hear yours, but when, you know, when people compete and people, you ask somebody, what's your goals? Like you ask someone like, you know, Sam Long, for example, what's your goals? And it's always to win. Like he wants to win. He wants to beat everybody else, which we all do for sure. Um, but then there's some, you know, some people are more, okay, I want to do this and this is how I want to execute my race. And if I win or not, isn't necessarily dictated a dictate dictation of whether I achieve my goal or not. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Like, what's the best way to approach it? Like everyone's different, but how did you approach it? I mean, the science supports that, doesn't it? Like if you have a narrative going of how this race unfolds from a, from a results perspective, rather than a process perspective, 
then you downgrade your 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 well you, you come out of flow state so it's I, I from what i understand of the science of it you then come out of that flow state because you're now observing yourself in the moment of doing not actually doing and so by it becomes an immediate there, pass fail like right then and there right like you have a you have that fight flight response like oh my, i'm not i said i was going to win and now i'm in second and the consequences of this or that and your whole personal narrative takes over and your prefrontal cortex starts talking to you. And then as soon as it does, you're no longer participating in intuit state. You're not in an intuitive state. You're in a thought through state and your, and your processing speed slows down. The science is really clear about that. It's how do you disassociate yourself from yourself in order to perform for what you've trained for beyond the idea of how that result put, plays out for your representation of yourself, if that makes sense. I don't know if I explained that right, but it's letting go of all the pieces of like, this is for that and I'll qualify for this and I'll get that money so I can attain this. It's just at the end of the day, we just made up this course and then you prepared for it. And then you put yourself in that intuit state and you see how you perform and you lay it out. And then at the end, you're like, oh, look at that. I, I won or I did whatever. I, I think I have a decent example of that it's from, it's real quick, but it's Tiger Woods when he played at Pebble Pebble Beach, which is arguably his the best round ever of golf. And the only thing he wanted to do in the final round, and I think it might even the back nine, he just, no matter what, he did not want to shoot a bogey. That was all he focused on. He was winning. He was going to do it. And he didn't care about the end or the championship or the, what was happening afterwards. He just, for the life of him, couldn't spare a bogey. So I think that's probably a good psychoanalysis of, you know, the mindset that you can take into it. It's flow state. I tell you what, that's what I like about hiking with the poles is there's whole sections of it where it's just, you know, I'll go for, I don't know, this morning went for quite a few hours and I don't remember whole sections of it because I'm just in that like, dun, dun, dun. I'm going up the, it's called Chinese mountain. So I just go up Chinese mountain. I'm just, and I'm not, thinking about anything i'm just like literally in this intuit state and it feels very it's very meditative and it's very very methodical and it has nothing to do with anything you know it's not like there are no ramifications i suppose the ramification is if i don't come you know i've got to make sure i get home and that's about it and i really like that part of it i like coming out of it because that to me is like pure performance um and I, I think that that's how to perform is like, look, I, in soccer, you really see it because I think in the last game I played, I put my head on the last eight headers. I put my head on, I had gone wide and I finally put one in the net. And I, I think what happened was I finally stopped thinking about like, Oh, that, that's it. Like that's going to score. Like the last second, the ball's coming across and up in the air. And instead of just making contact and putting it in the net, I'm like, this is going to score. And of course that's the like, that's where you lose focus yeah, yeah. That's, I love, i'm like thinking about the action instead of actually performing the action so i'm one frame behind and the goal, ball, ball goes wide and then finally on the weekend i just stopped thinking about it put the ball in the corner of the net and you know and we win our master soccer game <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, I love that you're bringing up flow state i think i had an athlete i coached um maybe like three or four years ago who's a pilot he's kind of hippie but he would always talk about flow and did a lot of research and I think I've experienced it, you know, probably a handful of times for a, you know, longer than 10 to 15 minutes and just racing Jackson one time when we were racing in Chattanooga 70.3 and you and I were like literally leading the race for 
you know, over the half the bike course. And we were just making moves and reacting to each other, taking, I'd go over the top of the hill you and go around you. We just kind of tag teamed. It. it was just, it was so flowy that, you know, when I've lost it on the run, I was just like thinking about what went wrong. How did I come out of it? So I think we all experience it. So like in my definition is it's probably different than yours, but it's like when, when your body and mind seamlessly are just working together and that's just it. And it just, you don't think you just, you do. And I'm Jackson, I'm sure you've obviously felt it. You've done, you've been so successful. It's just being able to recognize it. So I think that that's super valid. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's something I'm super interested in trying to, you know, master because you see all the great athletes, you know, the ones who achieve the greatest things are the ones who have that kind of mental game or that sports psychology aspect figured out whether they did it intentionally or it's just bred into them. And that's the way that they are. Um, it's the way it is. And I've certainly done you know, I've done it well and I've done it poorly as well. So, um, yeah, our, it's, our it's, swim coach, Neil Harvey, uh, he's a legendary swim coach. And he would say it's, it's so cliche, but it was, it's the Yoda line. There is no try. There is only do. Yeah. You know, like, you know, you're no longer trying to do it. You're just, you just do it. I think that it comes back to routine and self-regulation. And I mean, the science again, supports that, that, if you are able to sequence the dominoes of your day, and if you're able to, the basics of your day are pretty, you know, at the end of the day, your like entire job as a human is to carry water and generate energy and consume energy. <laughs> we put all these other things on it. We like have all these other things that we say we want to do. And that's like, we have all these stories, but at the end of the day, you're literally, you're just like, oh, how do I go get water and then go generate some energy and then consume that energy and I'm going to go back to sleep and that is ultimately intuitive state you know and that's so if you want to replicate that for racing then it's not about thinking through how to do it it's it's laying out your day so that it unfolds in a way that produces that performance and that's all just through self-regulation and routine and I said just I mean more complicated but the human part right like yeah. welcome to be human but that would be the science of it. You and Mark Allen should co-author a book now. You guys are on the same <laughs> same wavelength. I love it. Oh, yeah, there you go. Sweet. He's a legend. He's such a, I say legend also like a legend athlete because I grew up watching him race and da, 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 but also just having spent some time with him. What I love about Mark and so many of those other, like that moment at Collins Cop where I'm, I'm in the like little green room with Karen Smyers and Natasha Badman and Norman Statler and all these like legends. I'm just like, oh, we're all just geeks who just love this sport. And we're just like talking about so-and-so's aero position and how many grams that pedal is. And, you know, at the end of the day, Mark is such a great example. He's just some guy who loves to surf, who happened to be good at Ironman. Yeah. Who, like philosophizes about how he maybe could replicate those races. And at the end of the day, he's just some fun dude who loves being outside <laughs> yeah he th that was really cool to have all them there at that race um but yeah i mean you obviously love the sport you're still a fan of the sport and you know i'm curious what what things do you pay attention to and what things do you not like obviously sometimes it probably comes and goes what you're interested in watching and not um and like do you still kind of you know, research and, and follow what's like the training methods people are doing and who's, you know, who's training, how, like, obviously all, there's all this news about how the Norwegians are training different now and stuff. And is, is it really that different now? Or, you know, the way you used to train, like, 
did you just go out and smash yourself and not pay attention to the lactate and this or that, or has it really changed that much? Um, I don't know the answer to that. Honestly. Um, I had really good coaches who used the best information they had at the time. Um, I would say to me now, and to answer your original first question there, I follow sport. I, I love it. I will never, I follow sport because I love seeing it unfold. I like just seeing, I just like seeing what happens. It's the like, this wonderful moment of human. And like I alluded to before, if we weren't doing that, we would be fighting. So I would rather watch, you know, like yeah. I would rather watch sport. And so whether that's, you know, different game sports or what I love about endurance sport is that element of like the go and get the medicine piece of just like human performance and endurance. Um, I will say that I think seeing what the it's been labeled as the Norwegians are doing it's just they've brought the real science to the table and the real like how to prepare with mixed with that element of knowing also that at the end of the day if when you saw it at the Olympics like I felt like all the science aside Blumenfeld just knew how to build the hurt box you know like he just he built this hurt box he like put a wolf in there he lit the whole thing on fire and then he said hey you can all get in with me like, I'll take all your science and stuff at like, I'm just going to hurt more than you. So to answer yeah. your question, I think to an extent, there is this like lack, this scientific approach and all these like precision, pre precision application for predictable gain. And then there's this element of like building the hurt box and saying like, do you want to get in here or not? Because there's something in Blumenfeld that had learned how to take it to a place where the others couldn't. And in my estimation that, I explain that to myself as saying that he thought he thought about all the different scenarios one more way than the other guys did, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Like when he was processing and visualizing and seeing that race unfold in his mind's eye, he saw it one more version of it. He was like, and that would happen. So if we got all the way down to a run with Hayden Wild and and uh, Lee, then I Lee. would this. Yeah, actually, I would build the hurt box and then I would just make them try and get in. They couldn't and then I would win. And he just saw in his mind's eye that version of it. That's how I explain it to myself. I don't, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not right. I just that's how it like makes sense to me. He's He would just be like, well, I just had to go faster and I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah just, that was incredible. That race. I mean, that's really cool that you you watch it and, and keep they're still up with it. Um, that's yeah, I mean. I think that's a good indication that you kind of had had and have a healthy relationship with the sport, right? Like people talk about kind of, you know, quitting, like a lot of people who stop, they, they stay into coaching and they're heavily involved that way. Um, but obviously you still have your relationship with the sport in a bit of a different way. Did have you, you know, would you consider coaching? Do you want to ever do that kind of thing or get involved with high, like more closely with high performance athletes or any athletes, or do you just like kind of watching it and doing not doing so much of that anymore. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that. I I like the I I don't have the the day-to-day -day coaching, you know, piece. Like it takes there's so much of it is like being there in the day and day and meeting people where they're at and giving them like that last little bit of knowing themselves, helping them know themselves enough to prepare properly, I guess. And I don't have that like desire right now who knows maybe in the future but to be there in that day-to-day -day. I like don't want to sacrifice the things that I do now because I see those things especially around family as just being what I want to focus on and do 
Um, but, but I do like, I said, I do love the sport. I, I love seeing all the, the different, uh, the different elements and seeing how it all comes together and seeing how people apply themselves to it and all the different takes people have on it. And, uh, I'll always stay in touch with the, that, that way. And, and in terms of triathlon Canada, I feel like I just, I got so much from the organization and from the sport that there's this feeling of like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'd love to contribute because it's fulfilling and it's interesting and I get to learn things and I'm grateful for the experience. And I feel like it's such a, just at its core, it's just such a great sport. You know, it's at the end of the day, it's just, we laid out these cones at the park and we said like, I don't know, swim over there and back and then like ride around this thing and then run to the end of the lane and we'll call it a triathlon. And that like I love just love that ridiculous part of the sport that it's it's this like it's arbitrary but it's arbitrary. Up, yeah and the distances and everything's like well we'll swim for like a fifth as much as we bike and we'll run a bit I guess yeah yeah it's ridiculous and I love yeah. that because what else what else are you gonna do every sport's ridiculous and triathlon in its own way is ridiculous but um like I watched a clip of the Super League final from Malibu where Flora Duffy just sits on the front and just was like, oh, I'm, I'm better at this than the rest of you are. <laughs> so uh, this is how we're going to do it. And um, it's just, I don't know, it's a great sport. It, it's, it's fun to see it evolve. So there you go. I think the, the sport is so impactful for so many because it also just aids to a different type of lifestyle. Um, obviously a new type of identity. I think for me, like this is a first year in my career that I've allowed myself to do, like, I just bought another kiteboard setup. I used to do that years ago and I just bought a snowboard and I just bought that upgraded my backcountry skis. So I'm like, when I can, and I don't have to focus on the sport as much, I love using the fitness that I've acquired to just take myself to different parts of the earth that I just, other people have no business even thinking about just because I'm like, well, it's because we can, you know, gravel biking has been, the new frontier because it we finally go down these dirt roads as fast as we can almost on the road bikes and we can go cool places that no one goes to unless you're paying for it we're a thirty thousand dollar atv or you know can-am so that's my absolute favorite part about this sport now as in a you know getting a little bit older at 35 is now i can live a little bit and still you know see competition is a very important aspect of it but i think mixing the two together I, I can't wait to see what I can do with that kind of attitude. You know that that lifestyle bit, I, um, other sports, while they have their, their, the pieces of people are passionate about there, it doesn't seem in my estimation, my experience in soccer is like, they don't also teach the elements of taking care of yourself mm -hmm. so, and triathlon that's so ingrained in it is like, how do you, how do you optimize your sleep? How do you, optimizing nutrition how do you take care of your body are all built into it and they're they they serve you in your life well beyond the sport so you can go kite surfing and skiing and all these other things and know how to take care of yourself and um i i really love that element of and i also think it's the huge value proposition for triathlon is at the end of the day it's this very basic thing isn't it like hey do you know how to swim are you able to gain mechanical advantage? Like if we give you a mechanical advantage, could you take advantage of a mechanical advantage? Yeah. And also can you traverse from here to there? I.e., can you walk, maybe even run? And they're very basic things. And the value proposition for our sport back to society is like, 
hey, we can put together these arbitrary of distances and events, and then we can use that to equate and, and, and like where people are at, where are, is the demographic at, and, and then say, hey, if you're interested in that, we, there's more ways to do this. And also here's how to take care of yourself. And here's some preventative medicine measures that will help you live a longer, more fulfilled life that takes there's less tax burden on the system. So here's your value proposition back. And I really like that element of it. So yeah, there you go. Perfect. So you mentioned, you mentioned, um, you know, how it makes us healthier basically, because we learn how to take care of ourselves. And, and that's a great, you know, the people who can be in this sport for years and sustain and, and do that, it's for certainly true. And um, just, you know, you also mentioned, obviously, you're involved in Triathlon Canada. And, you know, when, you, when we talk about, you know, general, I guess what I'm looking for is uh, organizing bodies for the sport. There's obviously multifacets in which they help the sport grow and which they help the elite side and whatnot. Um, when it, I'm thinking about, like, younger athletes and, you know, how we see a lot of sort of young athletes come up and they high performance and they're really focused. And then a lot of the time they end up having a short relationship with the sport or getting injured or things like that. Um, you know, maybe they don't quite have it all figured out from a sustainability perspective. Um, what is your kind of vision on how triathlon Canada or other governing bodies can help those athletes if they do want to have kind of longer careers and get that healthy balanced relationship with the sport where they maybe race until they're well, you know, late into their thirties, like you were, and then it gives them success for years like, I just feel like there's something that happens with junior athletes and I don't, I'm not saying it's triathlon Canada's fault, but what is it that sort of does that to athletes? And like, what's your experience on that in general? I mean, I think we're still, a, it's a maturing sport, but with the sports science and the, and the sports centers that are associated with it now, we'll make, we'll make less and less, fewer and fewer mistakes. So as the infrastructure is built out, you know, back in the day, we made these mistakes, we learned from them. Some of them we didn't learn from them at the time and it takes longer to learn. And then we put these sports centers together and then the sports centers go through their own evolution where they, you know, they're over, I'm sure they go from lightly funded to needing funding to heavily funded to back to no funding. But all the time, all the while they're refining and refining their methodology. And hopefully out of that, we find better ways and give better information towards best practices to being just a healthy individual that, you know, again, back to what we were talking about before, like knows how to set up their routines in their day to optimize their health and performance and how they can contribute to society. And if they can learn those skills through a triathlon program or through a swimming program or through a pickleball program, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's like learning those skills that also apply to sport when it's time to focus on sport and compete, you have those moments, but when you take away what you took away from the whole experience should be this very positive and very contributive community sport that, that teaches you about how to take care of yourself and also how to like interact with other human beings and be a good person and da, 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 da. Um, It's a journey. So triathlon Canada is gonna continuously go through these cycles of evolution where they like learn something and then take one step forward, two steps back, et cetera, et cetera. But hopefully, or I would say in the end, they are making progress at whatever pace you wanna call it towards being contributive and, and having this value proposition of saying, hey, here's our wonderful sport. This is how we organize it. Like go forth and prosper, I think, I don't know. Yeah, 
Yeah. Oh, that's a goal. Right. And I mean, it's, it's always so tough too, because people ask me, like I get, you know, I know some of the coaches of junior athletes around who, who coach junior elites and even youth athletes. And sometimes I do the odd, like talking engagement with them, like Dominika Jamnicki or uh, Dave Hopkins athletes. And they're fantastic coaches. And a lot of times they'll ask, you know, like how, how did you get to the point you're at or kind of where did you, when did you really start training a lot? And like, what should we be doing as juniors? And for me, the answer was I wasn't really doing much as a junior and it's, you know, everyone's journey is so different. Right. So I I didn't really take it seriously until I was well into my twenties. And, you know, for me, that might've actually been better. So so it's, it's, it's a kind of a counterintuitive thing, but sometimes as kids and, and teenagers, maybe it's, Hey, you know what? The best thing is to not train 20 hours a week and What's maybe true? play soccer and, and train when you can and have fun and then take it from there when you get a little bit older. So it's, it's a bit of a tough, it's always a tough thing and individual. And that's where having these good coaches and good organizations to support is so important. Um, Cause it can be very hard, especially on kids to train so much and be so focused on performance at a young age and having the right guidance to do that is I think critical. Well, stats show right now, I just read it like a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember the exact numbers, but anyone who is hyper-specialized at such a young age, the, the bleed out factor is like, it's hemorrhage. Like anyone who is more diverse and just kind of goes with what they want rather than having you know, maybe a parent be overbearing and tell them what you're going to do this. You have to do this to be good. Any, anyone who's really been a champion and lasting champion in a sport has diversified through their career and tried three or four other sports before they found what they just really loved. So I think that for juniors, like that's kind of how it should be like, let them be kids. And then if it lands on it eventually, but obviously building structure, routine, respect, discipline along the way with everything. And then it just seems to work out. That's what worked out with you worked out with me. Um, you know, we're not to that level of worked out with Simon. He wasn't yeah, super Simon heavy into it from a young age. Right. I think I had the gift, honestly, it's such a subtle thing. And I, I didn't really pick up on until, until I had t- kids, but is the idea around the effort that you put in versus the result you got. And what I mean by that was when I came home from an event or my sister came home from rowing, my folks never said, how did you do? They always said, did you put a great effort in? Mm-hmm. And like we, it's such a, it's that, that idea has been eroded a little bit by this idea of participation is key. And, and there's like this kind of negative tone that's been put on that. But at the end of the day, that's true. It's like, all you can do is, is put in the effort and the, the results are what they are. And for, for my sister and I to know that we had this unconditional support from our folks that was based around the effort we put in, not the results we got that freed us to show up at events knowing that we could take care of the things we could take care of and what we couldn't take care of. Nobody, you know, when we got home, nobody cared about. And so we had that experience as my, my, the mother, my kids and I had that experience where with our daughter, where we just let her, it was, it's her sport experience. You know, it's not our sport experience. It's, it's, and it was her sport experience. And so she had anxiety around races. I always, she says, I'm nervous dad. I say, well, that's exciting, isn't it? She said, no, no, I'm really nervous. I said, oh, good. Like, this is awesome. Yeah, nerves would be better. Really learning this, like, real connotation around the idea of, like, isn't that fun? Like, you get to go do this thing. And then really for her to understand that it was about her. So we had this experience this year where she won a cross-country race and then she didn't want to race the next weekend. She got there and everyone was talking to her about it. And she has this strange experience with it that a lot of the kids 
people can't relate to, you know, when you get asked, like, are you going to be an Olympian like your dad? I didn't have that experience. Like, no, not like that's a very, that's powerful. Very few people who would have had that very particular experience. And so my kids have dealt with that in their own way, but also was what, and what we've given to them, I think is like the freedom to be like, what's your experience? This has nothing to do with me or your mother or whatever expectation. This is just for love of sport. And so Pippa goes to this cross country race this year. So she doesn't want to race. We support her. The coaches are telling her she should race. Her friends are telling her she should race. She doesn't race. She goes home that night and says, oh, I don't really like that feeling of not racing. We say, oh, okay. She showed up the next week and ran. And we were just so happy for her because she said, oh, you know, you gave me, we, we, it was hers. It was her. She had agency to make the decision. We trusted her and she went and did it. And it fell at the time. I tell you what, we were like, oh man, if we made the right decision, should we be making her do this, making her, whatever that means. And she just did it. And I just like the whole moment was so fun to watch because it was like true to the notion that she should just do it because she loved it. And it was like sport. It's silly. Yeah. That's so cool that you guys did that. And, you know, that's, I'm sure there's plenty of people who listen to this who's got kids who have them in sport and go through all these same things. Um, oh, and, yeah, I mean, later Nick's, on. Nick's inherited a couple of kids and he's, <laughs> he's a new, a new dad in a sense. Um, so, you know, he's taking notes for sure on this. You're damn right. I, I want you to write me a book, uh, a couple chapters deep and I need to call you on them for cliff notes too, so I can do it in jam. But I think, I think your wholesome holistic approach is like so refreshing to hear because, you know, even I think these things sometimes, but I don't know if that's good because I'm so you know new to it, but I think a lot of our listeners are going to relate to that. So thank you so much, Simon. It brings up something. I just look. I think I had this moment on a soccer pitch. Okay, going back to my soccer game, but I play soccer with this guy who immigrated from Iran, and he just he just has a wisdom about him. You know, I don't know how to put it any other way. He just really sees the world because he's seen. He left during the revolution, so he's really seen it all get taken away, and and life really change. And so, I just have this relationship with him where he's a he's just incredible soccer player but also he just has these little nuggets and we were on the field it's probably three or four years ago now and I was kind of wandering about I play I play striker he plays center mid and as far as he comes over and says what what's with you today you know you're just wandering around you look lost and I said oh I look my I'm divorced I'm a divorced dad so my kids are going back and forth I said to him oh I don't know man like little Billy talking the game is going on. Our coach, our coach, the guy who you're talking, and just the coach is like, "What are you doing?" And as far as he's like, "You are you good?" And I said, "Oh man, I just my kids. They go back and forth between two homes, and I just it eats me up inside." And he said, "What did he first?" He said, "You you cannot have your children's karma." I'm like, "What?" In the middle of soccer game, what? He, he ninja their karma. That's for them. That's not for you to take on. That's like you got to let go of that. That's you just do your best and you thing, and then. You just, you cannot have their karma. That's for them to deal with. And I remember just being like, oh, <laughs> like, thank you. And I just, and you know, now, now go and run, <laughs> you know, go back to doing the thing you're doing. And so that really stuck with me. I think of that quite often as like really just doing our best with our kids and giving them guidance in the best manner we can and being so unconditional love, but also just like not trying to take on their karma because it's their karma. And so says Farzi. So there you go. Really cool. Yeah. I mean, this, it's a really, uh, you know, good approach, obviously. And it, I think we've sort of hit on the fact that, you know, 
I don't know how we got into the stuff with, with high performance and kids, but I'm glad we did or just performance, just sports and kids. Um, but yeah, don't, don't push them too hard on any one thing. And I, I will say though, Nick, there are some people who have had success being pushed. There's some outliers Tiger Woods. that we can point to is Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods. He was freaking golfing from like months old and he's been golf, 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 golf. And he was obviously very, very good. I mean, he had some other issues, but. Um, well, they talked about that in the same sequence and uh, you know, they, they were just actually making that point where there have been probably like one in a couple thousand who do that, but the majority of people find it through uh, diversity. So I, I think yeah. great point Jackson, like it can happen. It can, but yeah. It's not better or worse. It's just different. Yeah. You know, like he, that's what got him to that level and it wasn't better or worse. It's just different. He pays different costs for that. Like you said, he specialized in it. He got to this incredible level, but then he also missed out on some other things that he needed. Yeah, and that's so cool. the truth of it. You know, that's just, that's the gig. And you're right. Like there isn't, there isn't better or worse. It's just different. Yeah. Yeah. So Simon, I'm going to propose a business proposal for you. Not not necessarily business, but triathlon related. Cause I know like you have so much um, knowledge and just experience. I think what you should do is go to like races and like camps with people, like just short periods of time with like high level athletes and just like be their like, you know, mentor and just be there with them. Like you were with us at Collins cup. That was perfect because we had Lisa Bentley, who was, you know, extremely knowledgeable and an amazing accomplished career as well. But she was kind of that more high energy sort of like, you know, in your face in a good way, like, Hey, I want to help. I'm here. Let's do this. And then Simon's sitting back and he's, and he's kind of the opposite. And he's kind of like, come to me if you want anything and I'll just be quiet and I'll be observing. And we had these two amazing mentors. And that honestly, for me, I was like, take full advantage. Like a lot of people were like, eh, I'll just do my own thing. But I was like asking you guys questions and like, they're foolish for saying that. And you know, it just, it was just so cool. And I think that would be awesome to like do that or go to camps with people and just be the guy who they come back from the training. And then you're like, and what did you learn today from your training? <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't know if it works that way. I think, I, I think the only way it would work. And the thing I like to do is just to be involved in that, like organic kind of way. It's just, you show up because you love to be there and you want to, you should it. hike to the camps from your house. <laughs> we're going to start, we're going to call it Simon Juan Kenobi. yeah no no thank you (laughs) come on nick he's not old he's just wise no no because you're so damn wise not there you go well well, i think we took enough of your time simon i cannot i don't know jackson thank you so much for your guys relationship bringing you to this part of our podcast i I know this is i will just go ahead and put on the record i think this is going to be one of our most valuable message podcasts uh, that we've put out to date since normally we just talk about kind of stuff on the surface so this was just incredible to go so deep so thank you for taking us there and just being yourself i appreciate it thanks for having me and uh keep it up this is such a great sport you're you know to be involved in it in the way you are and to to love it the way you do it's just uh you're on to the right thing because it's it is it's such a great sport to be involved in and then just to catch up and I, i like the opportunity to think it through you know it's uh I'm going to go back now to doing what I was doing, which actually in this case is like, go chop some wood. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Literally chopping wood and carrying yeah, water. <laughs> but in the meantime, I like get the opportunity to think about things and be challenged on them. And look, I think that like we talked a lot about the 
a lot of the really positive things like that came from a lot of like soul searching and a lot of like experiences that I didn't do the right thing in and then I didn't have like you know uh, I have a lot of like oh man I didn't handle that situation well yeah. and so a lot of it comes of I've had a lot of opportunity to to be asked questions about it and people give me the opportunity to be vulnerable and then they don't judge you you know they like, like say like nice things and then you get to talk so I appreciate the opportunity thank you very much well we'll love to have you back of course um anytime we'll have you back we're also starting a quarterly quarterly talk with brent mcmahon called uh old man brent. Wise, wise old man brent so brent mcmahon can i just say something yes about, please so do. i spent a lot of time with brent and he said so that's so interesting that you say that because look brent brought to sport not just a like all of his the way he applies himself is amazing and just the the results they achieve yes but just how he carried himself as a person yeah, it's really like, you know, I, I, I hope he doesn't watch this. So it doesn't blow. But he like this. He never had anything. He never got caught up in the nonsense. You know, he never Brent just brought. He knows himself. Be true to thyself and live into your values. That's Brent McMahon. And like that really. And then look, the story of like, go try and find another Olympian who went to an Olympics missed the olympics and went back to the olympics yeah that in itself is is such an extraordinary accomplishment but then also just to be on the ground and see the day-to-day -day dedication love of sport and just the way in which he treated people like there's no there's nobody out there who's going like oh that frightening man guy's a jerk like he's no. just he's just a stellar dude because he just brings the best of himself every day so uh good for you that's uh that's really cool i will definitely listen in because i've i've i haven't spent as much time as i'd like to with brent over the last many years and uh, the guy's just a wealth of knowledge but he's also just a great dude and i tell you what he's an incredible paddler he kind of, oh, the guy's just an incredible paddler. So there you go. I've, I've trumpeted the horn of Brent McMahon long enough. But Wait, we'll send you the link to that episode. Cause oh, dude, man, I'm going to listen to it. I, it's on I, YouTube. I have many times thought, what would Brent McMahon do here? So <laughs> are you talking about stand up paddle or like canoe? Cause I've done like competitive canoeing and that was the worst event of my life. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. OC six. Yeah. That's painful. There you go. About it. it was like 13 portages and uh, I can't, I just can't do it. it I was did it after Muskoka on one of those deer lakes or something with my home. Oh, like, oh, I'm going to take you out for a real sport. We're going to do competitive canoeing. He's in the back of the canoe, just yelling at me, making this cadence. I'm like, God, I'm not in the military anymore. I can't, and my arms are short, falling off and we're carrying the bastard. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, I tell you, I've done that Muskoka X event. Is one oh my of gosh. You have. I've done that. It was one of the most humbling, incredible sporting experiences I've ever had. And I just got shelled. I was just so far out the back of the sub competition. And yet it was so much fun. I and mean, fun's not the right word. It was so satisfying. The video like, looked fun. You're portaging and you're like, exactly how you described it. Like, what am I doing here? What am yeah. I doing? Why did I do this to myself? <laughs> yes. so, yeah, that's it. That's the love of it, isn't it? Because I don't know. What, other, what else did you have to do with yourself? Like, what else were you going to do? Yeah, yeah, I was outside and I was loving the nature. That was yeah. all. Good for you. People who like to punish themselves physically end up in the sport of triathlon, I swear. Yeah. Because like, you just, I just remember things I did as a kid and stuff that are like, I, I wasn't even in any kind of competitive endurance sport. And it was just like, 
oh, I'm going to ride my bike from my house to the end of this dirt trail and back <laughs> as hard as I can, as hard as I can for no reason. No I'm one's like around. Years old. No I'm one like, cares. <laughs> then I'm going to take a break and then I'm going to do it again. It's like, <laughs> that is no wonder you end up in triathlon. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. That is exactly why I got into it too. It's because at the end of the day, I was like, I don't know. Let's just make excuses up to go outside. See how many cords of wood you can chop in 30 minutes. Yeah, totally. right now. There you go. Oh God. All right. So well, we better let you go. We've had we've gotten our more than our zero dollars that we paid you's worth to have you on here. And we really appreciate it. We'll have you on again sometime and we will send you that Brent McMahon episode so that you can because it was great. You'll love it. I guarantee it. Oh, that's awesome. I look forward to it. Thanks right. for having me, fellas. Nice to see you. Thank Cheers. You. Have a good night. Holy cow, Jackson. That was a good one. That was a good one. I just, you know, we got rolling into it and you get deep into the, like what makes the mind of a champion like that. And you just, you just learn so much. So I'm so glad we had Simon on and uh, yeah, man, I can't. And then getting into like, you know, the exact best practices that I could think of for how to, how to be the parent of, of an athlete who's, you know, trying to work their way through sport. So super cool to, to hear from him. Yeah, I think I, it resonated with me. It'll resonate with a lot of the athletes I coach who have kids. And, you know, these questions are tough to navigate on your own. So hearing it from someone of that stature who's been there, done that, and has like literally, I would say probably the most authentic mindset when it comes to how to keep the sport alive and keep it part of your lifestyle and teach your kids the same values. So like stellar. Um, anyways, what's next for us? Uh, probably Miami's coming up challenge clash Miami, um, on yeah. 11, 11, and uh, our Jack crew kits ready just at the last minute because they can ship them to us within two weeks. So yeah. that's pretty sweet. Yep. We've got most of our partnerships nailed down for the, for real tri squad. Uh, we're going to have three of us racing in clash Miami. Then we're going to head to Oceanside. And then probably a few of us at St. Anthony's triathlon in Florida. And then maybe in Chattanooga, 70.3 for North American championships. That's tentative um, all right now, but that's where we're going to start. So look for us, subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you wouldn't mind, that'd be super helpful. Um, we're going to be releasing some additional content to the Patreon as well. Some special episodes. And I think that's, uh, that's about it just all the good stuff on oh, some giveaways too. So we'll be giving some stuff away from our cool sponsors that we're bringing on for this year. Jackson, how's your thumb? Oh, the thumb, you know, she's pretty good. I, I don't know if I'm going to get much more bend than, than that right there. So standard bend, this one can bend a lot more than that. So anyway, it is what it is. It's uh, it's, you know, still hurts a little bit if I like really bend on it, but anything I need to do for triathlon, it's fine. So eh, it's fine. Well, just have to open jars best, with my other hand. Well, the best piece of advice my grandpa gave me, and he had nostrils the size of a quarter, he said, or maybe a toonie, whatever that is. Uh, he said, never pick your nose with your thumb because you'll get big old nose holes. So that's uh, something that Jackson, you, you can't do it now. Don't think I listened to that when I was a kid. <laughs> You're still good. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, we'll bring Garrick on next time. He couldn't make it, unfortunately. But until next time, peace. Oh. I got ish to do Flying through the sky in my parachute Dancing on the couch like I'm Tommy Cruise On a one-man mission trying to see it through